0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat, Bulls fans. Doug Tonus here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And of course, we just had the 2020 NBA draft much later than usual and free agency is going to kick off in a day. This is nuts, and training camps can open in a couple of weeks. Oh my, I'm just I'm ecstatic! I'm ecstatic to have basketball just rolling back at us so fast. I mean, it's think about it; it's going to be a, basically one month away, and we're going to have games going. I mean, I, I love the schedule. Now, granted, we had a long layoff to get to this point, but I love the fact that the draft is hitting us, then free agency is hitting us, and then the season is hitting us all so fast. I mean, this is going to be you know a fun time. We paid for it in advance, and now now we get the fun to roll out. So. Let's discuss what the Chicago Bulls did in the draft. Obviously, you know by now that the Bulls had maybe, I would say, one of the least liked picks that I can remember off the top of my head in the draft with Patrick Williams at number four. Everyone thought it was a huge reach. The only pick I can think of in recent memory that the Chicago Bulls fan base was so against was Doug McDermott. That's got to be the last guy I can think of that basically universally everyone said, what the hell are you doing with this? And it's kind of like an exact opposite type of situation, right? Like we, we, McDermott was the guy who was a huge producer, was able to produce on the court, and uh, Patrick Williams was the guy who's the big upside reach. Uh, maybe a little bit more familiar with someone like Tyrus Thomas if we are going to try and draw an example of uh, a parallel as to why he was taken. Now, Tyrus Thomas, as we now know, kind of a questionable attitude guy you know he seemed to have a chip on his shoulder but that didn't turn out to be a chip on his shoulder was super great work ethic and all these other things it just turned out that a chip on his shoulder was because he was just kind of mean and uh, you know that didn't really pan out in the way uh, that we had hoped it would but Patrick Williams a guy who's I don't want to say raw I mean he shot over 80 percent from the free throw line he's got good form on his jumper And he is a very, very skilled defensive player. And the thing that is impressive about his skill defensively is off the ball is really where he makes his hay. I mean, he's a very smart defender, very good team defender, gets a lot of steals, gets a lot of blocks, plays help defense tremendously, probably can guard. I don't know if I'd say four positions, you know, in stretches, maybe he can guard two through five Maybe he can stay with a point guard for a little bit. I'm not entirely sold on his lateral quickness, being able to stay with guards. But, you know, it's hard to kind of really find good clips where you can make a good judgment of that because you don't really know what kind of athletes some of these point guards are in college either. So we'll we'll wait to see what happens uh, with him there. But he projects out as a really strong defender, a really good athletic guy. And, you know, in the future, definitely a 3 and D player at the minimum just because He looks like he's going to have a good three-point shot. My concerns a little bit about this is that his release was pretty slow. He didn't have a very quick release, and you didn't really see much off the dribble. He did have a decent uh, mid-range pull-up game where he'd take two dribbles into a mid-range shot and shoot. He's getting some comparisons to Kawhi Leonard in both his form and the way he gets his shots by taking all these kind of driving Pull up mid-range shots, you know, from around 10 feet out, and people hate the mid-range game now. But what I'm going to tell you is the mid-range game when you're shooting from about 10 feet is not a bad shot. The mid-range shots you really want to get rid of are the ones around like 18 feet, 19 feet. But if you're a solid shooter from 10 feet, you know that that is above a 50% type shot for most players, you know, if they're able to get off a clean look. So I don't think that shot is so bad, especially if it's one that you can get you know, when the shot clock's winding down and you can kind of get whenever you want, it becomes a, a pretty decent shot closing uh, the game, or closing out a shot clock possession, you know, analytically, if it's a shot you can kind of get off whenever you want. You know, one of these things is like, yes, an open three is a very high percentage shot. You want to take those, and maybe a contested three if you're James Harden is still a high percentage shot, but a contested three for most guys is not really such a great shot, but a contested 10-footer for a lot of guys is a shot that actually you can hit at a, a pretty good clip, Uh, still for a lot of guys. So we'll see what happens with him and how he's able to develop there. You know, just listening to him seems like a a great kid, seems like someone who's going to work super hard, come in humble and hungry and and put in all the effort and do all these things. And knowing that, the one thing I've kind of been preaching both on the Real GM Forum and on Twitter is, you know, these guys, this is the longest break between the end of the college season and the draft that we've ever had, right? I mean, Normally, it's a pretty much an exact amount of time, you know, depending on whether you make the tournament and how long you're in the tournament and, and those things. But usually, it's a pretty exact amount of time teams have and players have to try and do something after their college season ends uh, before they go and do these workouts and whatever. And maybe they've got like a month uh, to start training with a professional trainer who's going to do a bunch of stuff with them and improve on their weaknesses before they work out in front of teams. Maybe they've got a month. Maybe they've got six weeks. Like that's kind of around what the timeline might be for these guys normally. And so this is now totally different, right? Now your season is now over in mid-March and we're talking November, uh, you know, mid-November here. So that's eight months. That's eight months. And, you know, I don't know when these guys were conducting workouts, but we'll say they started doing workouts with guys a month before the draft, you know, just for the heck of it. Uh, like normal would be the normal time frame. If they started doing that, maybe because we had a little more time, some did a little bit more. But so now instead of having like five, six weeks to work out with these trainers and try and improve and shore up their weaknesses, they've had six to seven months to do that. Six to seven months to just do off-season stuff, work on their body, work on their diet, work on their game, you know, try and show whatever, you know. So if a guy who's a lottery pick is clearly going to hire some type of, you know, elite pro trainer to work with, you know, he's going to sign with an agency, that agency is going to put him with a guy because they want to get him drafted as high as possible, and, and so these guys who have great work ethic are hungry and humble and are going to put the time in the gym and do all the things they need to do and, and really attack it. And Patrick Williams seems like such a guy. Now, those guys who are going to do that, who knows what they showed up with? Who knows what they did in that six-month period? You can make a lot of improvements in that six-month period. And so a guy like Patrick Williams, who's got all these raw tools, is it like impossible to believe someone who's hungry, humble, and is going to put in the work And it's got a ton of raw physical tools. Is it impossible to believe that this guy, you know, with a professional trainer, sped up his release speed, you know, worked on off the dribble shooting, you know, came back and showed some stuff that maybe he wasn't going to show in college. And maybe depending on his role, didn't get to show in college, but that in this long process where he had a record amount of time, like five times the normal amount of time to do all this stuff, came back and it just fundamentally looks different than he did in March. And I think the answer to that is like absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Now, as I say this, the same argument is true for every other single player in the draft. All right. So it's not like just like Patrick Williams had all this time and no one else did. You know, everyone had all this time. Everyone that you're looking at had all this time to do that. And and so the guys who probably made the most advantage of that and the guys were able to move up the most for that. The guys who are really athletic and got to work with guys who just did fundamental skill work with them and improve those skills. And so you look at someone like Isaac Okoro, who also went a little higher than people thought. Another guy who maybe fits that mold of like, yep, this guy can impress. And so I think these guys may just fundamentally look better. And when I, when I see someone who's got kind of like wonky draft form, and if they had six months to work with a professional guy and they still had, sorry, wonky shot form and they still have wonky shot form, I'm going to be a little nervous about that. Like you just had six months to rework this and you didn't do it. I'm, I'm going to be nervous about that. So, you know, when I look at Patrick Williams, I think there's a chance that that happened. You know, clearly he shot up the draft boards and there may have been good reason for that. So I'm not so down on it for that reason. I'm going to just, just wait and see what happens. Arturus, uh, Karnasovas is, First pick for the Bulls. He's, he's been willing to take swings in the draft. He's swung and missed. He's swung and hit. So I'll just wait to see what happens here. Isn't the guy I would have taken? And I guess by that long speech, really what I meant is the amount someone like myself or probably you, a listener, can actually glean about these guys in this draft is less than a normal draft. It's just less than a normal draft because so much time has passed and these guys have gotten to work on a lot of things and we don't get to see the benefit of that. But the Bulls do. The Bulls get to see the benefit of that. So because we haven't gotten to see the benefit of that, it's more difficult for us to know if some of these guys just look fundamentally different or fundamentally better and which ones look better and which ones don't look better. Based on what I perceive Patrick Williams to be and who he to be and the way he he speaks and, and talks, I think he's someone who probably put in a lot of work and and maybe made some real changes uh, based on that. So, you know, go and check out, uh, Google the uh, Hardwood Herald, and you can see his Patrick Williams video. I've been pumping his videos. Uh, Corey Tullaba, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, you know, did did videos on everyone, and I think it's a great way to, to just kind of look at Patrick Williams and some of these other guys. But just in the back of your head, understand that these guys have had a lot of time they're going to look a lot different than they would in a normal process. So just be a little patient there. And so looking at that, uh, here's some thought that I had about uh, big reaches on draft day. Because I think compared to where guys are mocked and where they end up, and when I think about you know, picks in the, at the very top of the draft that happened, this is the, either the second or third biggest reach I can think of recently like at the top of the lottery. Cameron Johnson was one last year who went way ahead of where people thought, but he was still picked number 11, you know, and, I, and it's actually turned out pretty well, you know. So I don't think that's like so crazy. Like, you get to the middle rounds and I, there's not that much separating these guys. Like, when you see guys at the top, I think it's a little more interesting. So here's the two guys I could think of off the top of my head that like shocked me on draft day as being drafted like much, much higher uh, than, than I thought they would be. First is Anthony Bennett, who went number one to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and everyone's like, what? Like this guy was maybe at the bottom of the top ten, and the Cavs took him number one overall. I think that was viewed as a huge shock. It became one of the biggest busts uh, in NBA history, maybe the biggest. The only thing I'd say is that there really wasn't a consensus great number one pick that year, so it's not like you know you had a superstar there. But but Bennett was a huge reach and ended up being really bad. And now the second, so you're probably not too encouraged about that. <laughs> but the second one I'm gonna say is Jalen Brown to the Celtics. Uh, who ended up going number three, and there's another guy. I don't think it was maybe mocked in the top ten or was mocked near the bottom and actually has a lot of similarities to uh, Patrick Williams and the type of player that he was and the reasons he was drafted. And Jalen Brown, I don't know if you'd say he's the third best pick in the draft, but Jalen Brown ended up being a, you know, a pretty solid selection. I mean, on draft day, I was like, Jalen Brown, are you kidding me? Like, I, w- I did not think that was going to be a great pick at all. And, you know, you look back at that now and you're like, yeah, Jalen Brown is really kind of part of the core of, of what they're doing. And you look at the next guys taking after him and it's like Dragon Bender. Certainly you wouldn't want him. Chris Dunn, you certainly wouldn't want him. Buddy Heald turned out to be, I think, a pretty solid player, but I think we'd all take Jalen Brown ahead of him. Uh, Jamal Murray taking number seven. I would I would rather have Jamal Murray than Jalen Brown. Uh, Marquise Chris, you would definitely take Jalen Brown over. Jacob Portal, you'd definitely take Jalen Brown over. So, you know, like, I think that was a a really solid pick that the Celtics ended up doing there. And I think Patrick Williams kind of fits the same reasons. You know, yep, this guy's really athletic. Maybe showed us some stuff in workouts. We think his skill is going to come around and that he's going to be a solid player. So we'll just wait to see what happens. And so now I'm going to go through and just kind of talk about picks I like and didn't like because I thought this was an instructive thing. When you start thinking, like, man, I didn't like this pick at all. What does that even really mean? You know, what does that really mean? And I, I suggest you kind of go through the same exercise in your own head. But here's some picks over the last, I went back to 2011, which is roughly the last 10 years. The Bulls didn't have a pick in 2010 for me to compare. So picks I like 2019 Kobe White. I was in love with White, at the player, but when I was looking who was on the board, White was my guy. He was the guy I would have taken in that spot. And looking back at it, you know what? I'd still probably take White again in that spot. I'm not saying he's the best player on the board, when you go back and look at it. But when I look at the guys I was considering uh, him against, you know, like, would I take Tyler Hero over Kobe White today? Yeah, maybe. You know, P.J. Washington, maybe. But, you know what? Like, Kobe White is right there. You know, I'm happy to have him over Jackson Hayes, uh, Roy Hachimura, Cam Reddish, Cameron Johnson, P.J. Washington, you know, the next kind of picks. So, going forward, even though Kobe White necessarily hasn't been a stud and I have some concerns, I still think, you know what? I'm pretty happy with that selection today, and I liked him at the time. And certainly, I liked him at the time over other guys I would consider who there really wasn't anyone. Like, he was the guy I was going to take. There was no one I was considering ahead of him. So, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. Wendell Carter Jr. was the next pick uh, that I liked in 2018. And, you know, going back and looking at the next guys Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, uh, Mikael Bridges, maybe you would take over Wendell Carter Jr. today. But, you know what? I still am pretty happy with him. If I drop down to Shea uh, Gillis-Alexander, he's clearly better, and I would rather have him and Michael Porter Jr. the way he's come on recently, though it's only extremely recently, I would definitely take him. now. Michael Porter Jr., even though he fell all the way down to 14, he was really the guy a lot of Bulls fans were kind of torn between. I didn't hear anyone saying we should take Shea Gills, Alexander, Colin Sexton, or Kevin Knox over Wendell Carter. But Michael Porter Jr. was the guy a lot of Bulls fans wanted, and it was kind of one of these things. Like, we thought he had a tremendous upside, but we thought he had tremendous health risk. He missed his whole rookie season, and it seemed at that point like, oh, thank God that we, we missed out on that. Uh, but as it turns out, Michael Porter Jr. now, a second year later, uh, looks like he is going to maybe pull through and deliver on that upside uh, for where he was taken. And, you know, today I would probably trade Wendell Carter Jr. for Michael Porter Jr. and you know, would, not, uh, would not think twice about it. So uh, we now get to 2015 Bobby Portis, late selection I like that pick going back with some history. I still like that pick. I can't say Bobby Portis is a super stud, but he, he's been productive. And I think he's, he's a solid player relative to other guys taken. And my last one, this will be a little bit embarrassing, but Marquis Teague. You know, like this guy ended up being complete trash, <laughs> complete trash. One of the worst, you know, picks in, in terms of productivity that you're ever going to find you know, in terms of stats that he put up in the NBA. But I loved it. This dude was a blazer. He was extremely fast. He could get to the rim at will. And I still cannot think of another guy who could just get to the rim at will and absolutely sucked in the NBA. Like, it's just such a weird trait to have and not be able to package into some type of advantage. But Marcus Dig pulled it off. And I thought his speed and athleticism was going to translate. It clearly did not. And, you know, you had Sadaransky was picked three picks later, Jay Crowder five picks later, and Draymond Green six picks later. Uh, but I, I like Teague. I thought it was it was a swing for the fences. I was not happy with his production in college, but I thought, man, this guy's skills, like I can see how they can translate. He's just got to put a couple other skills together and man, he could be great. And he did not do that at all, at all. And so eh, that happens, but I like the pick. And so, you know, going through those, you know, like most of the picks I like ended up being okay to good-ish, uh, but Marquise Teague, train wreck. So now 2018, uh, Chandler Hutchinson, these are my neutral picks. I thought I kind of liked Aaron Holiday, who was the next pick, who was maybe marginally better so far in his career. But honestly, Hutchinson, if it weren't for the injuries, might still actually be pretty good relative to when he was drafted. I mean, you got to kind of go down to the second round with Devontae Graham and Mitchell Robinson to find a couple of players who I feel are really, like, notably better than Hutchinson. You know, it's one of these scenarios where sometimes you look at your guy and, like, this guy sucks, but, like, you don't go back and look at everyone else and they all kind of suck. And I think that's sort of the case here in 2018. I didn't have any real strong feelings about Hutchinson. I was kind of annoyed that we had a promise to him and we couldn't trade the pick or make a trade to do something, but I don't know if there was really going to be a great trade on the table. So that was, that's my only thought there is I didn't think he was good enough to kind of make a guarantee to, which, you know, obviously was the case. Uh, 2016, uh, Denzel Valentine, I, I didn't have like any solid replacement in mind. I wasn't. You know, really excited about Denzel Valentine, Malik Beasley and Karis Levert, who are taking five and six picks later, uh, which is maybe a decent amount later, uh, probably are better players. But again, this was just a really bad draft, really bad options generally. And Denzel Valentine, actually, in terms of minutes and other stuff, if he stayed healthy, might actually be a pretty solid pick in this spot, too. I don't like him. But like if I were to redraft this whole league, like I don't know that he'd be a whole lot worse than 14th in a redraft either because it's just a bunch of trash. Uh, so we'll see if he's ever able to stay healthy and deliver. But the thing is, health was a big risk factor with him going into this draft. If he had solid knees going in, uh, he might have actually been drafted. If he had solid knees going out, he might have actually been a good player. So the fact that he's injured and you can say, well, if it weren't for the injuries, you can't say that because injury was a big thing. Either way, I was kind of neutral about him. I thought if he was able to stay healthy, he might be solid. He wasn't able to stay healthy. That was a big risk. And even today, I kind of feel the same thing. So, you know, there were some red flags there. Those red flags hit. But, you know, overall talent-wise, I think he still might actually be more talented than a lot of the guys, you know, around that spot. It's just that he's not been able to stay on the court, and we knew that going in. So picks I disliked. Uh, Larry marketing I hated this pick. Absolutely hated it. And, you know, going back... Uh, everyone hated it. You know, everyone hated this guy. We were booing him. We thought, you know, slow, white, stiff, terrible player. And Lowry kind of initially impressed us and was pretty good. But now, uh, looking back at that, you know, is he still worth number seven? You know, in a total redraft? Probably not. But the guys who are better were taken way after and weren't guys we considered. You know, Donovan Mitchell, at, uh, I think it was like 13, 14, something like that. He was like the next guy who was really better than Lowry. And wasn't someone anyone considered. You know, like, all the guys we were talking about taking instead of Lowry at the draft party ended up being much worse. So, Lowry, I still think was a solid pick. You can't always just say, like, oh, you should have figured out this dude who ended up getting drafted at 26, and it would have been amazing if you had taken him. Like... You know, like, some guys just make big reaches. You kind of look at the guys, like, who were sort of in that pocket, and you, you say, like, is he, is he good out of that pocket of guys that you would reasonably have considered? And Lowry has been. He's been the best out of that pocket. So, even though I hated that pick, I, I think it ended up being a pretty good one, pretty solid one. The next one, Doug McDermott hated, hated, hated this move, as did Bulls Nation. This is the move that I can think of with Lowry. Those two moves, I think are comparable on draft day for the amount of hate they received. Like everyone hated these moves. And so I think the thing here is that we hated this Patrick Williams pick for a very different reason than we hated these picks. We hated Lowry and we hated Doug McDermott because we viewed these guys as slow and unathletic and unable to compete at the NBA level with that level of athleticism skills that would not be able to translate and Patrick Williams were actually hating because he's really athletic but doesn't have skills we're sure will translate. So it's a very different situation. But we all kind of looked at McDermott and said, "Man, this guy—he's an old player. He's—he's uh, he's got a lot of scoring, but like that ain't gonna translate." Just watching him looks like Adam Morrison. And you know what? And to some extent, that ended up being true. McDermott has kind of carved out a niche for himself, even though Bulls fans you know, have kind of forgotten about him, but he's kind of carved out of his niche for himself as a, a quality bench player. He's a rotation player and he's a shooter. And it's kind of come to be what we thought his floor would be in the long run, which is a guy who's going to shoot over 40% from three off the bench and stretch the floor and not play defense. You know, that's kind of who he ended up being. And so, you know, that was what we thought the floor was. We hoped the ceiling was a little higher. None of us thought he was going to get there. He really didn't. Uh, but the thing that you know really burned you about this is we all wanted the guys who were actually traded for him, like Gary Harris and and Yosef Nurkic were two guys we would have been ecstatic to get. So we hated that move, turned out really bad. And then Tony Snell is another guy I hated. I wanted Tim Hardaway Jr. The Bulls were really focused on getting a guard in this draft and so were Bulls fans. And so those two guys were kind of like right on the board next to us. And, you know, even though I disliked this pick and hated it, and I'd still say I'd rather take Tim Hardaway Jr., I kind of looked it up, and it's, like, not by nearly as much as you'd think. Like, Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably marginally better, but, like, not a whole lot better. But, you know, D'Ang and Plumlee, who were the next two picks, were were definitely better. If you want to go down seven picks to Rudy Gobert, he was definitely, like, much, much better and was the guy who was a steal there, who was a stud. But, you know, we weren't looking at center and, you know, kind of the guys we were really realistically comparing to. Snell ended up being kind of similar, too. So I don't, in retrospect, it wasn't, uh, you know, such a bad selection. I think it was kind of like, eh, it's fine. And then 2011, Jimmy Butler. I knew nothing about Jimmy Butler except that he was mocked to be like 20 picks lower than this pick. And we took him and it sure felt like a huge reach. And Jimmy Butler ended up being a superstar. So, you know, and I don't think anyone was excited about Jimmy Butler. I don't know if people hated it. Like, I don't think there was a consensus guy people wanted at 30 in this draft anyway. And, you know, I, I didn't like hate, hate it. I'm just like, man, this guy seems like we reached for him. But at the same time, you're just also thinking like, eh, it's 30. You know, what, who cares? Like, what, like, is this is a spot where this guy probably will never play anyway. Well, Jimmy Butler ended up being one of the best Bulls picks in Bulls history. So going back, And and when I think of, like, what was my draft day reaction versus, you know, what is my reaction years later? And, you know, I kind of think a couple of these picks I I really didn't care for so much. Marketing and Butler, I now think, you know, Butler is a superstar pick. Marketing, good pick. A couple of picks that, you know, McDermott I hated ended up being awful. And, you know, so it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, it's kind of a mixed bag. And so what that makes me feel is don't judge Patrick Williams. That was a super long way to say, let's just hold out and see what happens uh, I, I like the fact that we swung on athleticism and we swung on a guy that's got you know, the ability to just fit inside an NBA game. And so that's, that's a lot on Patrick Williams' 23 minutes of <laughs> my mark. So hopefully I didn't bore the crap out of you there. And we'll now get into uh, Marko Simonovic. Who knows if I said that right. Did the best I can. Marco Simovic, I think you know. Obviously, I got to throw 23 minutes on him. No, I'm not. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read you some, some quotes from ESPN. Pre-draft, a near seven-footer with impressive skill, Simovic has been one of the most productive young players in Europe for a Mega Soccer Bet since the start of the current season, averaging 16 points, 10 rebounds per game. He's shooting over 40% for three on ample attempts, over 80% from the free throw line. The past two seasons, and is a much-improved passer who can also put the ball on the floor. Siminovic doesn't have a very appealing frame with a narrow shoulders and what appears to be a very mediocre wingspan that makes it difficult for him to find a position to defend, even in the Adriatic League. That's the main concern projecting him to the NBA, as big men who are neither rim protectors nor capable of guarding the perimeter are increasingly difficult to hide. Uh, post-draft analysis, Siminovich's initially announced his intentions to withdraw from the draft and change his mind, signaling to NBA front offices that a team had promised it would select him. Siminovich is a highly skilled big man with three-point range who can also pass and attack closeouts effectively. His defense need works in order for him to carve out a niche in the NBA, but he's an outstanding development, developmental situation with Mega Soccer Bet and has been posting impressive numbers this season thus far. So, you know, reading that, I I'd, 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 I'd no idea if that's true. You know, those sound like pretty good stats I mean the Adriatic League I think is a pedestrian caliber European League probably a little bit ahead of uh, the NCAA most of these club leagues are it's not like one of the minor uh, tier 2 club leagues I, I, I'd i say you know that sounds fine you know the, the defensive concerns obviously may be things that are never fixed kind of sounds a little bit like Jokic though like here's a big man who can shoot the three attack closeouts, dribble pass uh, handle the ball so you know like yeah, maybe, maybe he'll be a decent player someday. I think what this really came down to is this is just a pure dra- draft and stash situation. I don't know that Simonovich will ever make it to the Bulls. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. The Bulls right now have fourteen guys basically on roster spots right now, and so when you think of that, that's a lot. You know, that is a, a lot of guys to uh, clog up your roster, and and so they don't have a lot to 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 room with uh, or make make, uh, room with here. Uh, one other thing that the Bulls did just going after this is they made a promise to, uh, or sorry, sorry, not a promise. They signed a two-way deal to Devante Dotson, uh, who ended up being an undrafted player. And Devante Dotson was one of the guys who I think, you know, really was high on the, uh, is the best available player on ESPN's list that didn't get drafted. And I, th- I want to say he started becoming the best available player around in the forties. So this is someone, I think, who was mocked initially uh, in, in, around the mid-40s, so seems like a good guy to have signed to a two-way deal. Maybe something comes out of him, maybe something doesn't. Uh, we'll see what happens with him uh, if he's able to ever crack the roster, but, you know, seems like a guy who's pretty pretty athletic, uh, you know, who's a decent shooter, but decent score, so we'll see what happens with him. Uh, I'll... I'll I think that's a. I think it's a pretty nice two way signing for Chicago Bulls. So I'm I'm happy with both of those things. I like Dotson as as a two way contract guy. I like Marco Siminovic as a draft and stats guy just reading about him without actually knowing anything in depth or having watched even two seconds of his play, just reading the description. This sounds like, yep, we, we don't have a spot for a guy right now. I could see where this guy maybe has some potential in the future. Yeah, we'll just throw a pick at it. Maybe it, maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't happen. I, I, yeah, I didn't really know anyone this deep in the second round. I was kind of hoping uh, Tyrell Terry would fall to us in the second, but he didn't make it that far. He was a guy I would have been excited about drafting, but once he was off the table, it's like like, eh, I don't really know any of these guys. So uh, fine by me for everything that has happened there. And so, yeah, I think a solid draft night for the Bulls overall in terms of what they did in the the kind of the margins. Uh, Patrick Williams, obviously not a pick I was a huge fan of, not a pick many Bulls fans were a huge fan of right away, but I'm totally open to giving this kid a chance. You know, we're betting on athleticism. And one of the things I said is you, you're you betting I'm finding a difference maker. You're betting I'm finding a star. And you know what? I don't know that Patrick Williams has the offensive game to become a star, but he has the athleticism, and if he's able to develop over time, and he's got you know, the raw shooting form uh, to, to maybe be an offensive threat, if he ends up developing over time, it wouldn't shock me. And if AK and, and Mark Eversley, if they, if they feel that this guy has star potential in the future, and I don't think they're saying that, but if they feel he's going to be a, a great player in the future, hey, I'm okay uh, with taking that chance. You know, you, At this point, you look at enough trades in the draft, no one traded down uh, like the top 12, 14 picks. Uh, it was like, I think it was maybe around 14 was the first trade. No one traded down, no one traded up. So if you feel like, Oh, we reached, we could have got him at 10. I don't think there was any opportunity to trade back later to get him. And the Pistons theoretically desperately wanted him as well. So he wasn't going to slide back past seven. So what do you think you're going to trade to five or six? Like if you wanted him, if he was your guy, I think you just had to take him there. I don't think, think was—I think Cleveland was going to trade up from five to four to take Okoro, and I don't think that Atlanta was going to trade up, you know, from six to take a So you know what? I—I I think that if you liked him and he was your guy, and in the Pistons you felt wanted him at seven, which is the rumor that they were thinking about trading up all the way to three to get him. You know, if you thought he was your guy, then I think you just had to—I think you just had to take him there. You know, I think I think that was it. So, I, if if he's your guy, that's where you had to take him. That's what you had to do, and and the Bulls did that. So no complaints at my end, and we'll see how it goes going forward. That'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. I will talk to you guys probably even a little bit sooner because free agency is kicking off. Free agency is kicking off soon, and so we'll probably have something uh, actually pretty out there pretty soon.